Hello everyone, this is Pastor Tim with you from Real Life, and we are in a series called, well, it's about the book of Ephesians. And so last week we started with Ephesians chapter 1, and we learned about who we are in Christ. In Ephesians, which was written by Apostle Paul, uh, he is hammering this idea of who we are in Christ, not who we were, but who we are now. Uh, because of our faith in him. And so as he is sharing that with us, I've challenged us uh, to pick up one of these books. It's called Who I Am in Christ. And I want to challenge you to stop by the church, pick one of these up if you haven't been to church recently. And in there is every day there is a verse and an affirmation that builds up our identity in Christ because this is who we are now. And so I want to challenge you every day to read one of these verses, meditate on it, exercise your faith, change your mind, and become who you already are in Christ. So pick this up. Also, I want to encourage you uh, to check out uh, this week. I'm going to be doing a video for each one of these verses starting this week, uh, starting today. Hopefully you can find that either on our app or on our uh, website and uh, maybe even our Facebook. I'm not sure yet, but it's going to happen. And I hope that that will encourage you. So check that out. These affirmations are what will change our life. Amen? So we apply that word of God. So today, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2. And the message or the summary of this chapter really is about we are not just new in Christ, but we are seated with Christ. We are seated with Him in authority uh, and have been restored to a place of authority um, not just restored in a place of relationship with God, but in our purpose that God created us for. So let's check this out. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. It's just a huge uh, slap in the face, isn't it? It's just like you were, you were, you were dead because of your sins and your transgressions. And your main problem as a human being is that you are dying. Okay, I think we can all agree on that, that that is our main problem, right? We are all dying. You are dying to physical death because of sin. And before you die a physical death, God's grace is available to you to save you from the second death, eternity separated from God. The Bible talks about two different deaths. The first death is our physical death. The second death, if you will, is our eternal death. And you do not want to experience that. God wants you to have two lives and only one death in the middle, right? We are born, we have this life, we die, and then we have an eternal um, you know, existence either in life or separated from God. And so do not die until you receive the grace of God. <laughs> Can I give you that advice? Don't die this physical death until you've accessed and received the grace of God. Or as Jesus puts it in 824, he says, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. This is serious business. Jesus says, if you do not receive me, as the Messiah, as your Savior, you will die in your sins. And you do not want to die in your sins. And God puts it on our heart. Once we place our faith in Jesus, He puts it on our heart, His heart on our heart, 
that he gives us a compassion and a love for other people because we don't want anyone to die in their sins and be separated from God. Look, we've all sinned. We know that. Some of us have sinned a lot more than others, and some of us are real good at sinning. We've been very evil. There are some very evil people. And yet, God wants to save every single one. He came, Jesus came and died and bled to pay for everyone's sin, but the application of that salvation requires a reception on our part, requires faith. Did you hear what I said? You do not, if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sin. So we all need to believe. That is the, the key for salvation. And Paul makes that clear in this chapter, that it is by grace that you are saved through faith, not of yourselves, not of anything that you have done, but through believing that Jesus is the Son of God and placing your faith in Him. I want to encourage you to do that today. If there's any doubt at all in your mind, place your faith in Jesus. Do not die in your sins. Let Him save you from your sins, forgive you from your sins, and cleanse you from your sins. Every human being will die in one of two conditions. You will either die in your sin or you will die in Christ. And that makes a world of difference, an eternal difference for you. If you die in your sin, that means you've rejected the grace that God has sent to save you, to save you from your sins, to forgive you from your sins, to pay for your sins. That then if you've done that, you will pay for your sin yourself. And uh, the Bible talks about an eternal judgment or a death at the judgment, being separated from God, being separated from his love, from his joy, from his peace. And you'll spend eternity in hell, in a place that's described as agony, a gnashing of teeth, fire, uh, darkness. And, and, and so this is not what God wants for you. And it's not what anyone wants for anyone else. And if you die in Christ, though, that means that you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've placed your faith in Him. And by trusting in Him and serving Him with your life, then you enter into eternal life with God. And the words that are described of heaven is love, joy, light, peace, no tears, no regrets, no pain, no death, no darkness, right? And that is what God has for you. The Bible says that we can't even really even imagine um, what God has in store for us. It's so great. And so do not die in your sins. Die in Christ, in Christ, in faith in Christ. That's who we are. We are in Christ. Amen. Revelations chapter 20 tells us this, uh, verses 11 to 15. The Holy Spirit is giving John this vision and he records it for us. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name 
was not found written in the book of life, was thrown into the lake of fire. And so this is, again, a vision that, that the Spirit of God gave to John about Judgment Day, that everyone will be raised to life again, and they will stand before what we call the great white throne of judgment. This is the day where everyone's life is being accounted for. And what the bottom line is, is is your name in the book of life or, or not? And to have your name written in the book of life, it is Jesus's book, basically. And when we place our faith in Jesus, when we believe in him as our Savior and our Lord, and we live for him and we trust in him, then he writes his name in the book of life. I mean, it's his roster, it's his members, it's his body, it's his people, it's those that God has entrusted to him through faith. And so to get your name in the book, right, to have uh, the entryway into heaven and eternity is to trust in Jesus. There is no other way. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he writes the book of life. And so um, all of Jesus' deeds are then credited to me when I place my faith in him. And all of my sin, all of my deeds, are cleansed and forgiven and washed away because they were put on him at the cross. That's why when it says everybody will be judged by what they have done, at this point, my, my deeds have been washed away And Jesus' deeds of righteousness have been imputed upon me. So my salvation is in Christ. It's not in anything I've done. It's in Christ and what he's done for me. Now, my rewards, though, and your rewards, this is a different topic. I'll just say this. Those are based on what I've done. Rewards, not my salvation, but my rewards. And Jesus said it very clearly. Hey, look, even if you've given a a drink uh, to one of the least of these, Right? You've done it unto me. Come and enjoy your reward in heaven. Right, So it matters how we live our lives, but our salvation is only by faith in Jesus. So while grace is free, as I said, you still must receive and believe. So receive and believe in Jesus Christ. John 1.12, Yet to all who did receive them, him, to those who believed in his name in Jesus, God gave the right to become children of God, and that's how we're saved. It reminds me of a parable that Jesus taught in uh, Matthew chapter 25 called the parable of the sheep and goats. He's kind of referring to what later John would see in a vision from the Spirit of God. I'm just going to read this one passage for you. He says, Then he will say to those on his left, God on the judgment throne, he will say to them on the left, the goats, Depart from me, you who are cursed, listen to this, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So Jesus is using this teaching long before John ever even had this vision of the lake of fire and the great white throne of judgment. Jesus is actually teaching about the day of judgment. And he tells this parable. God's going to be on his throne. And he's going to have, he's using the, the analogy of sheep and goats. The sheep are the good ones. The goats are not. The sheep are the ones who listened to Jesus, followed him, and out of the love in their heart, they loved others. They did things like visiting the poor, the, those in prison, um, giving to the poor, feeding the hungry, and, and, uh, and doing these sort of things. And they said, when did we do that, Lord? And he says, whenever you did it to the least of any of these, you did it for me. It was credited to your account, 
as if you did it to me directly, right? And, and the others who are right here being cast out say, what, why? What happened? What, what's going on? He says, whenever you didn't do those things, you didn't do those things, you didn't do, do those things to me. So we see that our faith in Jesus directly impacts our deeds. It directly, we're not saved by our deeds, but when we're saved, we have good deeds. God inspires his heart inside of us and we live a different life, a life that's bigger than ourselves. We begin to live a life for other people. We begin to do what Jesus did for us, give our life away. And, and that's not earning salvation, that's a reflection of our salvation because God's birthing his love in our hearts. And that's why James says, you know, your faith without deeds is dead. It's not real because if it's real, you will have good deeds. But don't get those flipped around. Don't just try to start doing good in order to be saved. It doesn't work that way. Our salvation is by faith in Jesus. But once we're saved, God begins to inspire our lives with his heart. And that looks like good deeds. Amen? Let your light shine in such a way that others see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so he goes on to say, For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes, and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and didn't help you? When did this happen? And he replied, truly, I tell you, whenever, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away, listen to this, to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So Jesus is talking about the same passage that we see later in the vision in Revelation. But for the, for the sheep, they, they ask the same question. And, um, and when, they, when Jesus answered, um, he says, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of, these least, uh, one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. At the outset, he's inviting them to come and uh, to be in his kingdom. Take your inheritance, he says. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, You were dead in your sins and transgressions. But praise be to God, we are now alive in Him. Listen to these verses. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. So I want to talk about then and now. Paul says then. We used to live in sin. We used to follow the ways of this world. We were under the authority of the devil. We were gratifying the cravings of our flesh, and we were following its desires and its thoughts. And as a result of all of that, we were deserving of the wrath of God or death. That was our true condition. That's who we were 
before we place our faith in Christ. And if you're watching this and you haven't placed your faith in Christ, that's who you are right now. You're being driven by your sin, the cravings, the thoughts that you have. You're following after the wrong things, and you're under the devil's sway. There's no question about it. Everyone who isn't aligned with Jesus is already, by default, aligned with the devil. That's why their life is a mess. That's why they're greedy. That's why they're selfish. That's, that's why um, their cravings are coming from the sinful desire and they've lost control. I mean, there's no question about it. So that's then, but what is now? So Ephesians 2, 4-7 says this, But because of his great love for us, hallelujah, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. He made us alive in Christ, right? With Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. Even when we were dead, God made us alive in Christ. We were rescued. We were saved. We were brought to life with Christ. And it says, and it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Two things. God raised us up. He raised us up. He raised us out of death, out of bondage, out of sin, out of darkness, out of addiction, out of futility, out of hopelessness, out of sickness, out of despair, out of depression. God has raised us up. That's who we are. That's who you are. Any of those things I just listed doesn't belong to you anymore. God is lifting you up and out of that, out of the mud, out of the mire, out of the trouble, out of the chaos. He has lifted us up. He has raised us up right out of death. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen from you? That's the first thing. He raised us up and he has seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. This is incredible. He has seated us with Christ. What does that mean? Well, we know from Ephesians chapter 1 where Christ is. It says here, we read this last week, I think, in verse 20 to 22, God seated him, Jesus, at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God put all things under his feet. That's where Jesus is. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, And God has raised us up and seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. So we also now are seated above the enemy, above all the power of the enemy, above every other situation like sickness and brokenness and bondage and addiction. God has raised us up and we have been seated, restored into our, let's say, our God-given dominion over creation. You remember in the very beginning, God gave us this, this, this land. He gave us this creation, this earth. And he says, here you go. <laughs> Have dominion over it. Be fruitful. Multiply. Be fruitful. And have dominion. Right? And rep basically, basically, be my representative. You get to rule. You get to um, uh, develop in my image. Develop my image. 
on this earth. Spread my love. Spread my, my character. Spread my holiness. Spread my justice. Spread my righteousness. And that was going to be, that was our mandate until we gave it away. Until we picked a different ruler. We gave away our relationship with God and we aligned ourselves with the word of the enemy, Satan. And that's why, by default, Every human who's born is under the dominion of Satan until they cross back over by faith to Jesus as their ruler and as their Lord. And once you do that, you're now seated with Christ and you are restored into a place of dominion. Hallelujah. That's who we are, the army of God. We're not just, you know, good little Christian people. We are here representing the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we have dominion. We have authority that Christ has given to us. And so that's the case. We're restored in authority and restored in purpose, and we're far above all other rulers, appointed by God, anointed by God, and we are sent and commissioned by God. Now, Paul says, this is who we were, but what's now? Now, instead of just being, we're used to living in sin, now we live in Christ, in righteousness. Instead of following the ways of the, this world, now we follow Christ, who is the way. We follow him. Instead of being under the authority of the devil, now we belong to Christ. We are under Jesus's authority. He is our Lord. He is our master. He is our savior, right? Instead of gratifying the cravings of our flesh, now we're seeking what the spirit desires. Not our flesh, but the spirit. And instead of following the flesh desires and thoughts, we're following the word of God and the will of God, right? And instead of deserving wrath and death through Christ, now we actually deserve life through Christ. And instead of being on a death spiral here, we are on a life rocket ride. <laughs> we are shooting up and anything's possible in Christ. It's all new. That's who we are. That's where we're seated. We are not down here anymore. We're up here. Now, you might not feel that way. That's why we need to go through this transformation of one verse at a time, one truth at a time, to understand who we really are, because we're used to this old, old nature. We're used to this old identity, but we're, we're not that anymore. Now we're this. That's what Paul is saying over and over again. This is who we are now. This is your position. This is your status. This is your character. This is your mind. This is your heart. This is your truth. Walk in this. Walk in this. Not walk in that. Walk in this from now on. In fact, in chapter 5, I think it says, walk in the way of love, right? That's what you're made to do. And so as we do that, I just want to continue to challenge you that personal salvation um, results in our personal salvation results in something bigger than just ourselves. Because as soon as we step into Christ, we are also joining the church. Now, when I say the church, I'm not talking about a building or a denomination. I'm talking about what the church really means. It means the people of God. We are adopted into the family of God. All over this globe, there are millions, perhaps, oh yeah, I would say billions of people who are in the family of God, and that's called the church. Let's just say capital C, right? The capital C church. The people of God are those who have placed their faith in Jesus. That's the church. And 
once you step into that, right, you are, you are joining a cause much bigger than just your life. We are the church, you and me together and all over this world. We are the church. And God has called us to a corporate mission of continuing to do what Jesus came to do, to witness that salvation is possible through faith in him. So we have this corporate purpose and calling that's bigger than our individual life. In fact, it is more corporate than individual. We're used to the individual faith thing in America. Our culture, our Western mindset is just ingrained in us that we're individuals. We each have our own houses. We have our own, um, you know, we have our own space. We have fences. We have uh, protections around us and, and we isolate ourselves. But that, that is very Western mindset. That's not actually a biblical cultural mindset from the way that God has built us. He has built us with a corporate responsibility, with a corporate calling. And you are a part of something bigger than yourself the moment you say yes to Jesus. You belong to the family of God, that's called the church, and you have a part to play in this global mission to reach the world, to build the kingdom. So you become the church, and the church is made up of individuals saved by faith in Jesus and called to serve his kingdom. And that's what this book is about. Paul is getting ready to crack open this idea that that's who you were, but now we're in this together. And now there's this thing called the church. And how do we do this thing called the church, right? And though you are blessed individually through your salvation, you are additionally given the blessing to partner with God and to partner with his people to bring about the kingdom of God on the earth. That's what we're all about. And this is the mission of the church, our corporate calling to worship God, to become like Christ, to serve one another, to preach the gospel, and to change the world. And we're all in this together. We are the church, you are the church, and you have a role, and you need to fulfill your role. That's, that's part of the package of salvation. That's what happens when you place your faith in Jesus. You're joining a cause bigger than yourself. You are saved through no merit of your own. You are brought back to life. And now, through the love and grace and mercy of God shown to you, you are also called to show that to others, right? For the rest of your life. And your reward is the crown of eternity in heaven. Hallelujah. So, I want to say this in Ephesians 2, 7. Paul says that this church experience that we are having is in order that in the coming ages, he, God, might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us, the church, in Christ Jesus. Paul says that's why God has done this. You are God's billboard. The reason God came up with this plan was to take a people and to redeem them and save them and shine upon them so his light would shine through them and be a witness to the world. And now you are his witness to the world. You are part of the church. And this is God's, to God's glory, his grace in you and through you, the radiance of God upon you and shining through you is God's witness to the world. He's 
bragging through you. You are God's billboard to the world. Look at how much God loves you, because look at how much God loves me. Look at what God has done. Look, look how he has shown his mercy to me, his grace to me, his joy to me, his peace to me. And now our lives become a billboard and a witness to the world of God, God's love and God's truth and God's grace and God's mercy. Matthew 5, 16, uh, 14 to 16. I think I recorded this a little bit, but you know, I'll back it up and say, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You, you are the light of the world. You are to shine. So he says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl or hide it. The purpose of a light is to shine. So he says, instead, they put it up, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. That's what it's for. So he says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Why are you still here? Because God wants you to shine. He wants your life to shine proudly to everyone. We're not being religious. We're just being alive, right? And to be alive, we have been rescued. We were dead in our sins, but now we are alive in Christ. And there's nothing more contagious than a person who is alive with purpose, you know, with a twinkle in their eye, with a passion in their heart, with the truth that has to come out. That's who you are. That's what Christ has done for us. We are seated with him. We are raised up with him. We have been transformed by him. We are a new creation in him. And now our light is shining. Let your light shine. This is who we are. This is the church. This is what you're called to do, to shine. It's not just about you anymore. Now God wants to do something through you to reach the world. So grace is a gift. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10, I'm going to finish with this. Uh, it says, It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. No one is saved because of anything they've done. No one. The Bible makes that absolutely clear. Right here, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. That you are saved by grace through faith not by works, so that no one can boast. And then verse 10, the power of this. There's a purpose to your salvation. It's more than just you being saved. Here it comes, Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork. We are God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us to do. Wow, what an awesome thing. We are saved, and now God has an assignment for us. He inspires good works to come through us, to change the people around us, to infect a fallen, diseased culture with life and light and wholeness and freedom and salvation. So do your part no one else can do your part for you. You are handcrafted by God for a unique contribution to his kingdom. No one else can do what God's called you to do. And it doesn't matter what someone else has been called for or made for. That has nothing, that has no concern of yours. Only, your only concern is to do what you are made in Christ to do. 
Because that's your job. That's what God has called you to do. That, and that's part of your salvation, is you have been transformed in Christ to do something, to do something for him. So I got a couple questions for you. Are you doing what you're made to do? If you're like, yes, I am. Well, awesome. Keep it up. That's awesome. But if you say, I don't think so. Then my next question is, if not, why? Why are you not doing what you were made to do? Why? Why are you not doing that? In other words, what are you going to do about it? What's holding you back? What's stopping you? Because it's not God. God has made you to do this. Is it just you're too distracted? Are you lazy? Are you too worldly? I'm just being really blunt here. But why would you not do what God has called you to do? You have been saved, and now you have been called by Christ to do this thing that only you can do. Why are you not doing it? Let's go. I'm here to inspire you, encourage you. Do what God has called you to do. We need you. The world needs you. God has called you. He has equipped you. You can do it. It is your unique role in his kingdom, and it is what you need to do. You were made to do this. So step it up and step into who you already are. Don't live someone else's life. Live your life and do what God's called you to do. And be blessed to be a blessing. In Genesis 2, 7, it says, And God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The word there for formed in Hebrew is yatsar. It means to form or to fashion. Here's a couple of examples that would fit this meaning. A potter who is forming clay with his own hands. A carver who is carving a piece of wood with his own hands and tools. Or even something like a form that's being pressed into or molded. And when we take these definitions, these concepts to this word yetzar, to form or to fashion, we see God intimately forming and fashioning you with his own hands and then breathing himself, himself, his breath into you to bring you alive. God put himself into you and, you, and he formed you intimately with his own hands. That, that should bring great meaning to your life. And when you consider all of that, you, you must be convinced God has a purpose for me. If God put himself into me and he made me in that way intimately, specifically shaped me, wow, my life has meaning. God, what is it? Show me, Lord. What do you have for me to do? And he will. And he will inspire you with the Spirit. And your life will touch many others. That's the church. You are the church. I'm the church. And we're in this together. And we need to come together and help each other and encourage each other and sharpen each other because we have a corporate mission together that God has called us to do. Can't do it without the other people of God. God has called us together. That's what this book is about. And so chapter 2 ends with this verse. It says, And in him 
You too, and this you is not you individually. It is talking to a plural you. It's, it's uh, if I was from Arkansas, I would say, and all y'all, all right? And all y'all, that's the interpretation here. And in him, all y'all are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So we are called to be built together to do what God's called us to do and to house his spirit. We need each other. We are forming together. God is building us. Jesus is building us. And we are the church. I hope this message blesses you. I hope that you um, begin to step forward in what God's called you to do. And that you see the value and the importance of God's plan. That you are called to be a part of a body of believers. You're, you're not called to be an individual believer. You are called to be a part of the church. And we are being built together and every one of us needs each other to become what God has called us to become. All right. And so let me just pray for us. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to share from your word. And I pray, God, that your spirit will quicken in my friend what you're calling them to do and who they are in you. And Lord, I thank you that you have raised us up and you have seated us with Christ and we are restored in relationship to you and we're restored in our authority on the earth to represent you and to make a difference in this world. Help us, Lord. Today, if my friend doesn't know you, Jesus, um, I just pray that they make that decision to trust and believe in you. If that's you, just say, Jesus, I trust in you. I need you. I declare my faith in you to forgive me of my sins to cleanse me of all unrighteousness, and to make me new. I'm all yours in your name. I believe, I receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me bless you, and now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in his name. Amen. Amen. Go do your part.